My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 10, A Seance for Jamie Pendleton. Light breaks where no sun shines, where no sea runs. The waters of the heart push their tides, and broken ghosts with glowworms in their heads. The things of light file through the flesh where no flesh decks the bones. Light breaks where no sun shines. Dylan Thomas. Marta stayed at the farmhouse all day. She kept the children amused for a time and tried to tell them their daddy had gone on a short trip. Most of the children's time, however, was spent with their ebullient grandparents. Marta sat alone in her mother's bedroom, truly believing as the day passed by her that the seance was the key to knowing the truth about Jamie. In an underlying sense, she hoped he was dead, because his death would vindicate her sanity. Weissman was inebriated by noontime and passed out on the floor in front of the fireplace in his front room. It was late afternoon when he heard a knock on the stairway door. He slowly sat up, rubbing the sides of his aching head, not even knowing what day it was. As the knocking persisted, it all came back to him, Stumbling to his feet, he pushed his glasses up the bridge of his nose and rushed to the door. His breath smelled like raw sewage. As he opened the door, he could see Hastings stepping back from the doorway. At least use your breath wash, snarled Hastings as he stepped inside. Never mind the insults, Dan, said Weissman as the hangover pain pulsed in his temples. What'd you find out? Burn, he said as he sat down at the kitchen table. Coffee, Dan? No, no thanks. Well, I sure as hell need a cup, said Weissman. He lit the burner and put on the pot. Will you listen to me? shouted Hastings. Jeez. Oh, go ahead. Thank you, thank you. As I was saying, I've been over this whole town. It took all morning and most of the afternoon, and I've questioned at least 50 people, including all of your neighbors, about that car. I've given everyone a complete description of the car and of Jamie. It's being typed and distributed to the merchants in town. I'm doing my job. Let me put it on the line for you, Byrne. I'll get back to square one, just like I said I would be when you came in this morning. The car is nowhere to be found, and I called the rental place in Concord. Oh yeah? What did they say? They can't give out that information over the phone. Didn't you tell them you were a cop, Dan? They don't care about that. Any joker can call up and say he's a cop. I called Concord, and not Lieutenant Nichols, I might add. They've run a full scan on all the trips across the border, and they've checked all their reports in the last 24 hours. No car was found and no body. Then where the hell is he? Asked Weissman as the coffee began to boil. He pulled over his old cup and filled it to the top, drinking the coffee black. I don't know where the hell the guy is. He probably left her. You know, she's a little... Never mind, I won't get into that. Strange, very strange, said Weissman as he sipped on the old coffee. If you want my opinion, and I'm not trying to be pushy, and I admit that I was pushy this morning, and I'm sorry. Thank you. And what's your opinion? 
You think she's crazy. I would advise that she be brought over to the hospital clinic and examined by Dr. Casey. Even put her under hypnosis. I won't argue the merits of her story. I'll just say that it's a very unlikely occurrence in the light of the fact that no one else saw it and because of her condition. She's telling the truth. I believe her. You don't believe her? It's something else. I don't know what you're talking about, said Weissman as he gulped the coffee. It's your feelings for her. I can see it all over your face every time you're with her, Hastings told him. I have no feelings for her other than compassion. The past is the past. I'm trying to be objective. The hell you are. You love her, Bernie, he said as he got up from the table. He pointed his finger right at Weissman, who was leaning against the stove. And your feelings for her are going to get you in a lot of trouble. The booze doesn't get you first. You've got a lot of damn nerve, Hastings. Why don't you just stick to your job and quit interjecting your personal opinions? Hastings crunched his teeth and withheld his emotions. He just wanted to shake Weissman and make him realize his feelings toward Marta were getting the best of him. He shook his head as he turned toward the door. I was just trying to help. He mumbled as he left the apartment and bounded down the stairs. Weissman rushed for the cabinet in the kitchen where he kept his liquor, but the cupboard was bare. Quickly, he flung open all the remaining cabinets, but there wasn't a single bottle. He searched the front room, only finding an empty bottle, which he subsequently hurled against the wall. Hastings had struck a raw nerve, a nerve that had been concealed for so long since Marta left, but now lay vulnerable to the whole town. The only way he could soothe it over and the other hurts was to take in that demon that was slowly eroding his mind and spirit. The full moon had risen once again when Weissman made his way over to the DuPont farmhouse later that evening. Hastings' words were still running through his mind like slow torture. He knew, however, that his feelings for Marta were genuine, and he really didn't think this was the time to do that. Even he was not that low, he thought, as he drove through the college. Marta's husband had just been killed, or so she thought. He couldn't just move in on her when she was so vulnerable. Wouldn't be right. Or would it? What would she do? What would he do? What was wrong and what was right? And who would make the final judgment in the mind of Bernie Weissman, the atheist. He refrained from making any judgments as Marta emerged from the kitchen door, her brown hair furling in the icy wind. She opened the door to the porch and, once inside, her perfume filled his senses with memories of the past. He wanted to hold her, to comfort her, and take her out of the tiny town, away from all the unbelieving people, away from the violent flashes and the dead bodies. But he couldn't do it. He was locked in locked into what he had been told was right, the way he was supposed to act. The way he was supposed to act didn't include taking other people's wives. He had set standards and like Marta, upholding those standards meant breaking other ones. How are you doing tonight, Marta? He asked as he squeezed her wrist. I'm all right. Nervous though, I don't know what this is gonna bring, Bernie. You know my opinion, he said as he brought the car around the driveway. Yes, I do, which is why I think you're pretty special to come with me tonight, especially after the way I forced this whole thing on you this morning, she said apologetically as she returned the squeeze. As he looked into her dark eyes, he wanted to tell her why he was being so sweet. Could she sense those feelings? But she had other, more important things on her mind. Not him. 
It wasn't just because she was so overwhelmed by her husband's death. It was the idea of the whole thing, her obsession to ascertain her sanity. Yet she took great comfort in Weissen's presence, not just for the fact that he was someone from the past. He could see that she really felt secure next to him, despite all his own problems. Inevitably, her mind reverted back to the main problem. She talked about it incessantly all the way through town, up to McAllister's house on the river. Which is why he wanted to be so secretive. If he does have the power to contact the dead, and it is a power given to him by the Lord, imagine being able to pass through the barrier of normal existence and into the spirit world. Being able to bring those spirits into this world. Yeah, right, sure, he mumbled dispassionately as he drove over the poorly lit roads. No, you don't believe in God, Bernie, but just try to be objective. Well, I will say one thing. I've never been to a seance. I deliberately missed that one in 66, he said, caving into his feelings for her. Maybe it'll be a kick, something different. See, it will be different, and we'll find out the truth. Then again, you probably doubt it, even if you saw it with your own eyes and ears. Yeah, I suppose I will he said, squeezing her hand again as they neared the house. It was an old red farmhouse only 30 feet from the river's edge, built back from the road in a series of lengthy additions. This was the house the congregation had given McAllister in return for his spiritual awareness and link to the Almighty. Weissman was uneasy about coming to this house since he didn't believe in God. It was like stepping on foreign territory, and he was trespassing on it, and it on him. There were several cars in the driveway and Weissman pulled in behind them. He stepped from his own car quickly and gazed down the river. The lights from the power plant stood out despite the moonlight reflecting on the river as it slowly flowed by. He walked around to Martyr, gently putting his arm around her as she got out of the car. It was purely an escorting gesture as he didn't want to overstep his bounds. Man, it's cold out here. It must be the river breezes, said Weissman as the wind crept up his coat. The interior of the house had an eerie glow about it. Marta prepared herself as she peered at the subdued light around the dark curtains. McAllister apparently had effectively set the atmosphere. They walked up to the large white door and Weissman was about to knock when McAllister pulled back the door. He was carrying an oil lamp and looked like a ghoulish figure on a lighted jack-o'-lantern. Come on in from the cold, please, please come in, he said as they walked to the entryway. He shut the door, locking it once as if he didn't want any visitors. Sure is cold out there, said Marta nervously. Yes, I have the heat on the highest setting, said the reverend as he pointed at the thermostat. Is everything all set? asked Marta as she gazed into the long room to her right. That eerie glow was the light from dozens of candles that had been placed around the room and along the hallway in front of her. The flickering light and the resulting shadows that were cast brought them back to a simpler time when mankind did not have control over the forces of nature. Yes, we are ready, said McAllister. He ushered them into the living room and into the light. Please come in. Seated around the solid oak table were five of the Reverend's closest friends. The long white candles burned steadily as they were introduced. One by one they nodded their heads in silence as if their words would somehow disrupt the fragile spirit world around them. Several of McAllister's cats walked amidst the guests, not concerned with the same spiritual awareness as their human counterparts. 
Please be seated, said McAllister. His green eyes looked even more menacing in the candlelight. They laid their coats on the sofa and took their places at the table. Marta sat across from Weissman and between two older women, while McAllister's back was to the rooms leading to the kitchen. As he sat down, Marta began to sense the importance of her request to McAllister. She was asking whether Jamie Pendleton, her husband, was alive or dead. It was an awesome request, and she debated whether she really was prepared to find out the answer. But she had come this far and had to go through with it. Besides, Weissman was right across from her. Are you ready, Reverend? Asked the tall man with glasses who was seated next to Weissman. Yes, Mr. Miller, said McAllister as he turned to all of them. What Mr. Miller will do now is extinguish the candles one by one as we begin our concentration on the soul of Jamie Pendleton. When he has completed the task, the only light that will remain will be the red bulb above the fireplace. Miller began his duty. The room grew darker as he smothered the candles. In that very act, the slow and subtle change of mood made Weissman naturally suspicious. This, along with the concentration on Jamie's presence, was like a slow hypnosis that would lead them into the ceremony. Weissman, however, had a respect for McAllister's tactics. It was indeed a very clever ruse, probably learned years ago. Miller, having doused the candles in the hallway, came back in the long room, put out the last mantle candles. The room became darkened, accentuating the sound from the outside the roaring of the winter wind and the bending and cracking of trees, the distant barking of dogs and the creaking of the house itself. It was the constant ticking, however, of the brass clock on the mantel which made the suspense linger second by second. Marta could see the images of the guests in the red light, their faces bent and distorted by the colored light, and in the corner of the room, two of the cats had settled down on the chairs as if waiting for the seance to begin. Let us join hands. It was the beginning. Marta held hands with the two women and Weissman held Miller's hand on one side and another man's hand on the other. He was reluctant though to go ahead with McAllister's game as he watched the Reverend very closely. We will wait the remaining time of this day, said McAllister in a low monotone as if he were coordinating a Latin mass. Of the short time that is left, the time before the central hour for us all, the midnight locusts through the barrier. We will cross that barrier and communicate with the spirit world, a world that is beyond our everyday senses and powers. We will begin to summon the lost souls. The time is approaching. In the distance, the clock tower began echoing throughout the countryside and seconds later the mantel clock joined in. Marta could feel a chilling sensation running down her backbone and infiltrating every nerve ending. Perhaps it was the lonely chiming of the clock or maybe it was the reality that her husband would really be dead. And that spirit, that dead spirit, might be returning to the room where they were now seated. The midnight hour was upon them. It is time we summon the spirit world the world of lost souls. To the one now departed, come to us, oh come to us. We have joined hands in fellowship for the dead. 
We have paved the way with our thoughts for you and made it safe for you to travel with us. Oh, souls of the past, souls of the past, come to us. The soul of Jamie Pendleton, we plead with you to share your presence with us. We must know, we must see, we must witness the communication, the communication with the souls of the dead. Marta could hear faint musical notes, almost like a music box melody. It was just too soft to be able to distinguish the tune. She could see that Weissman's eyes were wide open. It was not, however, because he was fearful. He could sense something else was amok, and he had begun to distrust his good friend Nathan McAllister. Yes, yes, began the reverend again. It is safe here, a haven for spirits, those departed from this world. We can hear the distant bells, the bells, the signs are calling us. The notes, distinct bell sounds, became louder. Weissman was not impressed with the reverend's prowess. Although he still held hands, he was becoming increasingly annoyed. Unbeknownst to Martyr, Weissman had come prepared. On the inside of his pants cuff, he attached a small pen light. He was able to push the button with his other foot and a tiny beacon of light was cast across the floor. Precariously, he moved the beam under the table, scanning the other people's shoes and finally coming to rest on McAllister's black boots. He tried not to be too conspicuous as he bit his bottom lip, but sure enough, McAllister was pushing on the rug ever so slightly with his boot. Jamie! Jamie! He bellowed in a mournful voice. We summon you. Please, please appear before us. We beg you. We wish you no harm. No harm at all. It is safe with us here, Jamie. Weissman was astonished. He watched as McAllister's other boot pushed on the rug next to his chair. Almost immediately, the sounds of heavy metal clanging chains could be heard coming down the stairs to the hallway. Weissman wanted to stand up and point his finger at the good reverend, but his curiosity won out. This was becoming quite the show. The chains stopped right outside the hallway, but the wily reverend was not through. His foot moved once again, and the door to the back room swung open, blowing the winter blasts into the well-heated room. Martyr, like everyone else in the room, appeared to be shocked. Everyone except Weissman and McAllister himself. The spirit is here! It is here! The spirit has returned! Oh, Jamie! called Martyr as McAllister's boot moved again. From the outside wall came a gentle rapping. Marta was shaking now, and it was only the locked grip of the other guests that kept her turbulent feelings inside. She actually felt, because of McAllister's trickery, that her husband was right in the room with them. Exactly what McAllister had planned. Weissman's curiosity was waning. He had to wonder what this would do to her. It could send her over the edge and produce things far more harmful than she had already been through. Or was it a blessing, the finalization of her husband's death? That would leave the door wide open for him, if Jamie really was dead. We have heard you, Jamie Pendleton, and we must ask you to signal us, answer us, one time for the affirmative and twice for the negative. And then, then we will know, we will know that your soul wants to speak with us. Oh, Jamie, are you really dead? 
asked Marta as the tears rolled down her face. The rapping sound on the wall returned, answering with one sharp knock. Oh God, oh God, he's really dead. Jamie, the soul of Jamie, are you with us, Jamie? He may have been frightened. I shall have to ask everyone to clear their minds. Relinquish all thoughts except those of the dead. Summon the soul, summon the soul, summon Jamie back to us. We are begging that he return with us. We are pleading with you, Jamie, to return to us and share with us. Jamie, Jamie, he said, waiting the suspenseful seconds before he pushed the floorboards underneath the rug. The rapping began once again. He's back, whispered Marta. He's back. Jamie, can you hear us now? asked McAllister, and the wall responded to his boot pressure. We must know the answer, the final answer which will put your soul to rest and stop your aimless wandering through the spirit world. Jamie, did you leave this life last night? He asked as Marta kept weeping. It was all starting to get to Weissman, but he kept his teeth pressed together and let the Reverend go on with his charade. He looked over toward the wall as the surrogate for Jamie Pendleton announced the verdict with a single rap. Good. Were you killed by someone you knew? He asked. Two definite raps. Then you were killed by strangers. He asked as Weissman kept his eyes trained on the floor. McAllister was acting as a prosecuting attorney, judge, and jury. He pushed a lever on the chair itself. Some kind of object came flying overhead, smashing against the mirror on the far wall. Weissman was impressed by the Reverend's ingenuity. But Marta was not so fortunate. She knew nothing of the chicanery under the table. Her mind could only ramble onward in total incomprehension. Killed by strangers, people who never even knew you. So alone. You'd be alive right now if you hadn't left me. Not killed by strangers. The spirit is offended, but why does he remain? asked McAllister. It was a long pause, perhaps 15 seconds, and then a quick tapping. One, two, three taps. And there were more than one. Sturdy knock. Young or old? Young? Teenagers! We'll find them, Jamie! Weissman broke the circle and stood on his feet. I can't see putting her through this, Nat. He said loudly. He walked across the room and flipped on the light switch. We're all talking about a possible murder, Nat, not some funny little game. I'm really surprised at you. You have frightened the spirit away. Oh, did I? Come on, Mata, let's get the hell out of here. Bernie, his spirit, you heard it. He was here. Mata, he said forcefully. Okay, then I'm leaving. But Bernie... I'm sure, he said as he took his coat off the sofa, I'm sure that any one of these gracious people will give you a ride back to the farmhouse. As for you, Nat, we'll have a long talk tomorrow, and then you can decide what you want to say. You should never have come, said Marta. You have no faith. Oh, I have a greater faith, he said as he buttoned up his coat. I have a greater faith than mankind, even if it does include the likes of all of you. He looked over at Marta one final time, but she was not about to leave. Very much angered, he turned abruptly and walked into the hall and left the house. As much as he wanted her to leave with him, he also knew that she had to learn for herself. And if she desired to be fooled, 
then she would be fooled. Weissman pushed up the collar as the wind outside the house began to pick up. He made his way over to the Porsche, glancing briefly back at the house. The lights were being shut off again, and Marta would be the subject of another round of theatrics. He debated whether he should go in and bring her out, but he quickly rejected the thought. Even if he showed Marta the controls under the rug, she would more than likely still believe whatever explanation McAllister would conjure up. The icy wind bashed against his face as he got in the car. He started right up and pulled into the narrow street. As he drove away, he wondered if he had really made the right decision in leaving. We will summon you again, said McAllister loudly. The one who did not believe me has left us. He has vanished from our view and will not harm you. We call you again, Jamie Pendleton. Please join us. All is safe. For we believe. Everyone assembled believes, he said as everyone, including the teary-eyed Marta, joined in the chant. We believe. We believe. We believe. The door to the rear room sprung open and cooler air crept into the darkened room. Yes, we believe, Jamie. We want to know the truth. We want to know who took you from this earthly life. It is your problem, as it is ours, and we want to set your mind at rest. To stop your wandering. Is that what you want? And that is what we want. All of us here. All of us. All of us who believe. We know what you have told us before. Young teenagers. Strangers. Were they from this area? Asked McAllister as both his cats, the black one and the orange one, perked up their ears. They were looking around the room for something, their tails all fluffed up to an extraordinary size, swinging back and forth. McAllister tried to move the floor controls, but it was impossible. His legs felt as if they had been placed in cement. He couldn't sense anything in his lower body, and then his upper body tensed, every muscle frozen as his arms held limply by his side. The spirit is still untrusting, he said outwardly, trying to cover for his inability to move the pressure pad, but inwardly he was terrified. He must know we trust him, and he will trust us, said McAllister as his mouth too became inoperative, and the table began to vibrate as if a jet plane were passing overhead. He was too stunned to think, and he could sense an inner chilling fear encompassing his entire body. His conscious mind was on the verge of slipping away. Once again he started to speak, but it was not his voice. The voice emanating from his mouth did not sound human. It was a loud, echoing slur and very frightening. It was as if evil had captured his inner being. Pendleton! 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 We know about Pendleton! Marta, frightened herself, leaped away from the table and ran toward the hallway, but she fell forward as she neared the entrance and found it harder to move. She was able to turn around toward them, but like the Reverend, she couldn't move. Whatever was in this room seemed to center around the table. The guests sat with vacant looks as the unbelievable had happened. McAllister, at the rear of the table, began to rise in the red light. His arms were spread outward over the table, and his green eyes seemed hysterical, bounding at the edges as if they were going to split apart at any second. He had risen at least five feet into the air, assuming a certain radiance about him. Marder, hopelessly trapped in the hallway entrance, could merely attempt to keep control of herself as the spectacle continued. 
We know the blood. The lifeless corpse. Gaping holes. Lanyards. Cried McAllister as the voice seemed to endlessly echo around the room. The rear door slammed shut and the windows like the table were rattling violently. Use the essence of your being that you must die. Pain and suffering, the death, and the exaltation of death. We will participate, we will join the process, the ultimate restoration of life. To die once more, we will join you. Fireplace burst into flames and delivered no heat. Marta desperately wanted to leave, pushing with all her strength, but she was held back. In the rear of the room, she could see the door open once again, and then it was closed violently, opening just as quickly as did the doors leading to the kitchen inside. Wood was splintering from the forest, and portions of the door spun around the rear rooms, eventually zooming through the long room. Marta feared for her own life and wondered what would happen next. Cried McAllister with the voice of a huge public address speaker. Death will come if you wish it to come again and again. You correct this desire to be carried out again and again in death. Sections of the plaster cracked, splitting violently, and the wall pictures smashed to the floor. Objects floated through the room like debris in outer space, and she was in the midst of the thing, helpless against it, because these forces were beyond the realm of her imagination and thought. We will join the universe, but death will begin. Pendleton, Pendleton, the carrier of death sees you all, spreading the death, the death, the death. Fire burned out of control now, the flames curling around the mantle as if they were alive. They jumped in bunches, moving from place to place around the room and starting new incendiary adventures in their wake. Strangely, there was no heat. As much as Martyr feared for her life, she couldn't help thinking that this was not real. The repeating voice reminded her of her perilous situation as it continued. Tiny bundles of light passed through the front wall and into the room itself. Everyone except Marta, including the animals, were unconscious now, frozen in place as the bundles of light floated around the room. Unlike the farmhouse bedroom where they drifted at random, they seemed to be observing or inspecting as if they wanted an assessment of what they were seeing. They circled the room as they passed. The flames from the fire disappeared like chalk being erased from a blackboard. With the flames went the intense vibration and the echoing voice. McAllister gently settled back in the chair at the table. The space around him was cold and dark, blowing their hair and clothing. And in a second, the bundles vanished from view. The people's bodies became unlocked and the mysterious force dropped from the floor. The cats, once unleashed, darted toward the windows as if chasing the elusive bundles. They climbed halfway up the drapes, hissing and whining. Marta slowly raised her head and wondered if this hellish nightmare was over. The past few minutes had been impossible, even though she had movement now. She was almost afraid to get to her feet. But she had to act, and she grabbed the edge of the sofa as she stood. 
She crossed the moonlit room to the cats at the window. They were still banging on the glass when she reached him. One of them looked up and meowed as if he were trying to tell her about the bundles. But there was nothing outside, nothing. Nothing except the distant face of the clock tower. It's all right, said Mata as she patted the cat's head and looked back. McAllister and the rest were still face down on the table. She hurried back and started to shake the reverend. Reverend! Reverend! She yelled and then slapped his face several times. McAllister seemed to come around very drained by the experience, his eyelids heavy and his mouth hanging to one side. Marta was still at a loss about this bizarre turn of events, and it was with genuine fear she kept slapping his face. Marta, he mumbled at her blurry image in the moonlight. I hear you, Marta. Reverend, the fire and the cold, the broken windows, everything flying through the air. What? What? What was that? asked McAllister. Her strange words seemed to make no sense to him. I've never been so scared in my entire life. Tell me what happened. I want to know. What are you talking about, Martyr? I don't understand. I remember Weissman leaving, and then I seem to have passed out. He said, looking at his unconscious friends. Oh, my. Oh, my. The windows were broken, and the place was on fire, I tell you. She shouted. My God said McAllister slowly. He is becoming cognizant of the fact that something else had indeed happened. I think we should put an end to this right now. We have intruded into places where we have no business. The room was in ruin, I tell you, interrupted Marta. The others were beginning to come to full consciousness, and she began questioning them like a badgering detective. To her dismay, they had seen nothing unusual take place in the room. As McAllister turned on the lights, they could all clearly see the room was untouched, appearing as it had when the seance began. Mother, said the Reverend, perhaps we were a little bit too involved. I saw it, she screamed, becoming more incensed now that she was being doubted. You were floating above the table, Reverend, in the air, speaking in some kind of weird voice, speaking strange sounds about the living death, don't you understand? I feel like I have made a grave mistake in bringing you here tonight, Mother. I might as well tell you what happened and why I did it. I was only trying to help you. You produced the fire and the smashing? Don't know what you're talking about, but I... Then you think I'm crazy. All of you. You think I'm crazy. The house shook, I tell you. She cried as she backed up to the sofa. She grabbed her coat as McAllister came toward her. Let one of us drive you back. No, no, just stay away from me. There are spirits here, spirits that will kill us, she yelled. She yelled as she ran for the door and burst into the cold. Marta, called McAllister as he ran to the door. Marta, I assure you, this was an unfortunate mistake. I've overstepped my bounds, Marta. She may have been right, said Miller as he came up to McAllister. No, I don't want to hear about it. We will never mention what happened out here tonight, no matter what. If word gets out, I was just trying to help the girl. They'll, they'll run me out of town. Marta's eyes were wide with terror as she ran across the snow-covered lawn. She, in her frenzy, could barely feel the cold, though, as she reached the road and began running back toward the center of town. The air was blistery, impeding her progress the stars shined brightly overhead under the watchful eye of the full moon. 
Weissman was the only thing on her mind now as she trotted down the uneven surface of the river road. Fatigue was setting in and she could only keep her mind on the next streetlight in order to plug onward. In the distance, headlights were coming down the river road. She became confused and threatened, turning toward McAllister's house in a gallop. The car slowed as it approached, pulling over to the side of the road. In the Porsche, Bernie Weissman had come back. Oh, Bernie! Bernie! She screamed as she opened the car door. The house was burning! And he, McAllister, he was above the table and the cat ran to the window. Slow down, slow down. The place was falling apart. Evil, evil. Take me away, take me out of here, Bernie. Something evil is here. It's going to kill us all. Death, living death, living to die. Oh God, what's going on? Mata, Mata, calm down, shouted Weissman as he pulled her over and squeezed her body next to his. Please, you're here with me now. Now, come on, slowly. Who's going to kill us? The voice, the voice, McAllister's rocked voice. Ah, that stupid old fool. I'll take his preacher's job and I'll... No, it's not his fault, she maintained. He only summoned whatever it was. Not his fault, Mata. He had controls under the rug. Controls that could make him float above the room? Controls to make the whole room catch fire and crack the walls, break apart the doors and windows? You're telling me he was able to perform all those tricks? Mata fell back into the seat as Weissman pulled the car back onto the road. I'm going back there. No, no way. Absolutely not. They knew about Jamie and the bullet holes. It had to be real. Jamie was possessed by something. It had to be real. I'm not going back there. Okay, okay, I'll take you to the farmhouse then, he said, shifting gears quickly and gaining speed. I'm not going back there either. I want to stay with you. As much as he liked hearing her words, he knew he had to bring her back to her family. She was just too volatile to spend the night. He had no idea whether he could control his own emotions. Despite her wishes, he drove across town, finally convincing her to go home, as he was going there anyway. As they crossed the town, she began recounting everything she had seen that night. I know, I know you're saying he's a fake, and maybe he is, but what I saw was no fake. Something took over McAllister's body, elevating it into the air. He spoke like a record that was all screwed up, and the building shook at the foundation. The fire spread from the fireplace and came all around me, and there was no heat. He kept saying that they were going to join us, kept repeating the word death. Oh God, it was awful. I believe you, I believe you, lied Weissman quickly. Pictures flying, windows breaking, it was a living hell. Bernie, I know what I saw. Sure, sure, I believe you, he said, almost believing what he was saying. He heard her tell it again and again, all the way back to the farmhouse. Weissman grew more fearful, not only of what she was telling him, but of his own feelings. He would have to be objective, but he just didn't want to act that way. It was like a child's pretend game when you knew it wasn't real, yet you still played the game for your own satisfaction. Gratification overrode reality. Oh, Bernie, I'm beginning to think that the flashes were all some kind of grand premonition, warnings of what could happen up here. I want to find out about Jamie and then get out of this damn town once and for all. It scares me. She didn't want to really find out what happened to Jamie. Maybe she could leave with Weissman. 
The thought was intriguing to him for a moment as he fancied himself driving the Porsche from St. Argus. Just he and Marta. Kids were superficial to his fantasy. But what was he thinking about? The poor woman's husband was probably dead. And here he was, some joker from the past, wanting to just come in and scoop her away into his fantasy land. He fought to control his meandering guilt. Marta, I'll do anything I can for you. Anything, he said as he brought the car into the frozen driveway of the farmhouse. I want you to go inside, take two of your pills, and go to sleep. All right, but I'm still frightened, Bernie. What if those bundles, the ones I saw last night, come back? I want you to walk me inside, please. The lights are still on. They must all have gotten up. If you want me to walk you in, Marta, I will. But let's not talk about what happened tonight. It'll only make your situation worse. Like a lunatic, right? Never mind that. Come on, let's go inside he said as she slid across the bucket seat, holding his hand for security. When they got out of the car, Weissman again put his arm around her and they hurried to the kitchen door. Albert Dupont and his wife Harriet were seated at the kitchen table. Ben had gotten out with some of his friends. Steam rose from the cups in front of them and they were still dressed in their night clothes. Harriet rose as the door opened. Marta! She cried as she ran across the room hugging her daughter. Close the door, yelled DuPont, and Weissman pushed it shut. Are you two all right? Yes, I'm just fine. They must have seen the tears in her eyes. If you don't mind, I'd like to go to bed now. Good night, Bernie, and thanks. Reverend McAllister just called, said DuPont. Marta was halfway across the hallway and stopped short. She turned and looked back. What did he want? He told us you had been over to talk to him, and you might be upset. That's all he said? And he said you had another one of your flashes, added DuPont. He said I what? More flashes, honey, said her mother. If there's anything we can do for you, bring you to the city or whatever, just to straighten you out. I didn't have any flash. I saw what I saw. It was real. I go along with your mother, said DuPont. Anything it takes to get you right again. Get me right? She asked in disbelief. You're the ones who can't see. I am not crazy. She blasted as she ran from the room and up the stairs. I think you've been a little hard on her, said Weissman. Hard? What the hell should we have done? She's not a sane woman, said DuPont. Well, don't be so abrupt. She can't take it. Were you out there tonight? Yes, I was there, and I left. And just why did you leave the Reverend's house? Asked the larger DuPont. Because he had the whole place rigged to... Never mind, I won't discuss this until I've talked to him. Then how do you explain the fire, the broken windows? He told you all that? I don't believe this. <laughs> I didn't think he was that low. Look, I don't know what the hell you're referring to said DuPont, but my daughter is not well. We both admitted that to ourselves. Well, she's not insane, maintained Weissman. Just how are you so sure? Asked her mother. Such things just don't fall into the category of normal behavior. There must be some other explanation, said Weissman, still defending her. When I go out to the reverence tomorrow morning, I can straighten this all out. Don't bother. We called Hastings just to be sure. He's already gone out there. 
The Reverend was up late reading the Bible with his cats beside him when Hastings arrived. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that house. Absolutely nothing. Then I just don't know, but I trust Mata. I'll find the answers, I really will. Yes? Is it just trust? Asked the mother. Yes, of course. What else could it be? Asked Weissman. That is irrelevant, scoffed DuPont. I'm bringing her to the clinic tomorrow and let the professionals handle it. But that would be admitting... Admitting that she is certifiably crazy, said DuPont. Let me talk to her tomorrow. And postpone the inevitable? Aren't you just trying to hide your own damn feelings? I'm just trying to help, he said in his own defense. I have to go, but I'll be back, he said as he opened the door, angry at the revelation that they could have seen through his feelings for their daughter. He slammed the door shut and stormed to the car. You never did stop loving her, said Harriet Dupont as she shook her head. Which is more than I can say for the son of J.M. Pendleton. He deserted her and left her alone in her condition. How can we ever forgive that? Join us next time for My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.